0: Good morning, my name is Bill Teeter, I'm one of the elders here at Northfield, and today it is my special privilege to get a chance to share from God's Word with you. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start with what is your trajectory? What is your trajectory? Apollo 13 launched in April 11th, 1970. few of us remember this, most don't. Two days into the mission, one of the astronauts radios back in. He says, Houston, we have a problem. You see, an oxygen tank had exploded and others were leaking and the mission to land on the moon was needed to be aborted. The new mission was to save the crew. The crew looped the crippled spacecraft around the moon and headed back to Earth in a race against time. They were running out of oxygen. They were running out of battery. Makeshift piloting was necessary of the crippled craft so that it would have a chance to reach Earth. The piloting had to be accurate. They had to have the right trajectory, the correct which means they had to have the correct direction and speed so that the craft would be able... To get to the Earth properly. Otherwise, if it was too shallow, it might skip off the Earth's atmosphere back into space, or if it was too direct, it might plunge them and be burnt up. Getting the right trajectory was an absolute must. They made it home by the grace of God after five harrowing days in space. And uh, many people around the world were praying for them. So, what is your trajectory? Where are your decisions and actions taking you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us and you care for us, and that you have provided a way for us to live in this world. Lord, I ask that you would help us to examine our hearts to see if the direction that we are going is the right one. There are many paths in this world, Lord, but there is one true path to you. Help us, Lord, to find it. May the words of my mouth today and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's go ahead and look, at, look up Matthew chapter seven, thir- uh, 13 and 14. That's on page uh, eight 12 in the Pew Bible. And that's where we're going to be studying today. I'll give you a moment. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I want to take us to the Amplified uh, Bible and look at it maybe with a little bit more detail and nuance. Here it says, enter. Through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss, and there are many who enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life, and there are few who find it. Now, in this passage, Jesus is speaking about two gates, two ways of entering. And he's also speaking about two paths, two paths to navigate life. So we're going to go ahead and start with the gates. So so that we can all be on the same page, we are not talking about this kind of gate. Actually, we are talking about something far larger and bigger than just a little gate. In the ancient world... In all of the ancient cities, there were at least one gate that served as the main entrance, and the city gates were not just the entrance. The gate area included the entrance and the adjacent roads that served the city in many different ways. Think of it as a gate complex, kind of like the town square. It is where the government gathered to serve. The elders of the city and the kings met in the gate to make decisions, to hold court. There was also areas that was used for trading goods with people outside of the city needing to go there with their things. And in the more developed cities, it served kind of like our mall or Main Street. The Romans ended up mastering the whole concept and they built a wide road that they called the Cardo where you could trade in or pursue most anything men could imagine. Along the sides were shops where you could buy most anything. You could buy food, clothing, things, prostitutes, slaves. Pretty much everything was in that wide road. both good and bad you see the gate the wide gate symbolizes the entrance to the many different things that this world can offer both good and bad earthly the earthly necessities of life were created by god but man's self-indulgent greediness bends him toward envy toward hoarding towards taking And then so then, as he moves through the wide gate of what the world offers, he looks at what the world offers through a selfish lens. He loves things and uses people. The wide gate could also open up access to human justice and protection and flourishing. But man's heart leads towards favoritism of what he thinks will benefit himself. And so he uses his power to a selfish end. On top of that, inside this gate, man's, on top of his propensity to see the world through a selfish heart, Satan is the unseen influencer in the background, inspiring lies, deception, and false accusations in order to capture the imagination of people and to promote his agenda So now, the tainted, selfish bent of man and the twisted inspiration of Satan distort how people see what this world offers. That is the wide gate. Jesus indicates that there is also a narrow gate. And while the wide gate enters into a selfish and twisted understanding of this world, the narrow gate opens into a different reality. A new kind of life, a different purpose, and a different allegiance, it opens to the kingdom of God. So, listen to what Jesus says when he describes his kingdom to the Roman governor Pilate. In John 18, it says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is. Is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. He's pointing out the narrow gate. And so how can you access this narrow gate into the kingdom? Jesus elaborates in John 10. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, when a shepherd corralled his sheep at night, he brought them in and he laid down as the door. Jesus is the entrance for the kingdom of God. He is the gate to a new life. For those who thought they needed to do some kind of great work to gain entrance. Jesus clears that up also. In John 6, he says, Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So, God has given us a door to believe in, a narrow gate to enter his kingdom. We enter by believing in the mercy, forgiveness, and protection that Jesus provides. There are two gates, two ways of coming into this world and approaches. So now let's look at the two different paths. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter by it are many. So what is the draw of the wide gate? Well, there are two things listed. One is it's that there is an easy way, and the other is that there are many entering it. The easy way is attractive, but it is also a false hope. It is a mirage that people wish was reality, and so therefore it must be. People are dabbling in this when they say, I imagine God to be like this, or my God is like that. You go ahead and believe in your God, I'll believe in mine. After all, who can know for sure? It is a path of man's imagination about God. It is a path where every man does what is right in his own eyes. It is the path which helps me avoid standards. Because it is flexible when I want it to be flexible. It is where we pick and choose what morals we want to keep. It doesn't hold us accountable. Because that would set us up for noticing sin and feeling guilt and shame. It is the reason we can classify our own sins as mere mistakes or lapses in judgments. Or our own kind of lifestyle, and it can be described in other people, though, as their being them being evil and heartless, because we're making it up as we go along. It is the reason we justify our overreaction, and the reason we minimize other people's concerns or complaints. It is man's made-up way to determine right and wrong. But we don't get to decide right and wrong. God created us and he has expectations and commands and they are the only ones that ultimately count. He is the judge and we stand before him and our opinions are just that. They're our opinions. No matter how many influential people think something that is false is true, it's still a lie. The wide, easy path leads to destruction, and many are on it because that is what they prefer. The narrow path begins with going through the narrow gate of Jesus For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. You see, the hard way leads to life. So what does that mean, hard? Well, it doesn't mean that we have to work hard to earn it, our way through this gate. We've already seen that the believer enters through the mercy of Jesus They become a new creation, a new identity, and and gain an eternal purpose. But when we go through this narrow gate, our allegiance changes. And because our allegiance is now to Jesus instead of our selfishness, our trajectory has changed. We are purposely heading a different direction towards a future home. And life. Your character and decisions now matter. Your path is constantly coming to crossroads where you have to decide which way is faithful, which way is consistent with the truth we find in God's word. It is life, it is living a life of faithfulness that can be hard. Not just living, but living a life of faithfulness is what makes it hard. How? Here's part of what makes it that way. Before you were a Christian, you only had one enemy, and that enemy was God. You were at odds with him, but God is a kind enemy. He does does battle against us for our own good. He does not want us to perish, but to turn to him for mercy. And for those who have moved into the narrow path, They are now on God's side. Well, because the allegiance has changed, you now have new enemies that will give you a hard time, and they are not kind. First, we have the world. And if you want to call it, we can call it peer pressure. They want you to conform, to get in line. The world wants to conform you. Of late, some people have called this cancel culture. Some of those who are still on the easy road to destruction don't like your new allegiance. They believe the worst about you and will give you a hard time. Second, because of this new allegiance, the second problem is your flesh, it's selfishness. Our old habits and preferences don't usually go away quietly. And Jesus has a prescription to help break that. It is called dying to self. It is described by taking up your cross daily and following Jesus. Putting off the old self by repenting of sin is a constant part of the new life. I apply God's word to my life and repent of things that I need to. Here's an example in Ephesians. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Our flesh can give us a hard time. And then the third enemy is the devil. You were not much of a target before, because you were not really trying to resist his agenda. You were blinded to his deceptions and you went along with his lies. But now, if you're on this new side with Jesus, things are different. And your rebellion to his rebellion will not be tolerated. He wants to cause enough trouble and keep as many footholds in his life as he can. Trouble can come through his evil inspiration, lived out in others that are around you. And footholds can come from him gaining access to you through temptation and accusations in your thought life. His plan is to either destroy you or make you ineffective and an object of scorn. Satan intends to give you a very hard time. The weight of faithfulness to loving God with all your heart and loving others can be hard. But what if God has a purpose with all that is hard now? What if he is preparing you for your future in this life or maybe even in the life to come? And he is using that to build character in you now. What if these hard times are like a boot camp for a soldier to prepare them? Since we cannot see the benefits or the reasons for all the different hard times that we go through, we must end up resting in the goodness of a God who knows what's best for us as we navigate the hard way that does lead to life. Lastly, I want to share a story, a story from 50 years ago when I was in high school. It has examples of today's teaching in it. Be on the lookout for them. It is a short story of someone I knew who showed me a good example of being faithful on the narrow path. I looked in my school yearbook for a picture so that you could see the face of the story, the face to it, you could add a face to the story, a face to the story, to make it more down-to-earth and more real for you. Her name is Bobby, and as you can see, she is a young African-American girl, though I think she more thought of herself as just a girl. The story takes place in 1973 when we were both 17. I think she had been a Christian for a year. She was asked to the prom by a young man as a first date. She didn't know him very well, but he seemed to be a Christian. He was respectful, he was kind, and he went to another church. And after the prom, they continued dating and grew to be boyfriend and girlfriend. At this point, her walk with the Lord, in her walk with the Lord, the Holy Spirit encouraged her to explore his faith, find out where he is. So she said, how how did you become a Christian? I have always been one. Well, how do you know you're a Christian? I live in a Christian country. Yes, but not everyone are Christians. Well, my parents are Christians. I was baptized as a baby, and and I go to church. Yes, but what do you believe? Well, I, I believe in God. I pray sometimes. So she started to doubt whether this guy even knew Jesus as his Savior. They talked more... And more over time, and she shared what Jesus had done to be her Savior and how she had committed her life to Him. While He had not done what she had, He assured her that He was okay, just like He was. Many of the following conversations turned into her sharing about Jesus and Him arguing with her. She wanted Him to know the truth about Jesus. If there was to be a future with her, he ought to be a Christian. Because even though she was just one year in her faith, she had read the scripture that talked about avoiding being unequally yoked with an unbeliever. After a few months together, she was coming to the conclusion that for her to be faithful to Christ meant she probably needed to end the relationship It is a hard thing to give up a relationship that you want. She told him what she was wrestling with. And when she did, that just made him angry. Why do you have to ruin a good relationship? Because I don't believe the same way you do. I am okay. He desperately didn't want to lose her. Days later... She was kindly sharing with him, and he could not refute her logic or the scriptures that she gave him. And so in his frustration at her persistence, he said, Okay, I am not a Christian. Can you just leave it alone? I'll become one when I want to. Her trajectory was with Christ. His was not. Would she be faithful to the hard decision to stay on the path of God, even if it cost this relationship? She had taken the narrow path, and he was on the wide road that leads to destruction. A week later, when they got together, she told him the relationship needed to end because they were unequally yoked. He was unusually kind in his response and said that if she thought that that was the right thing to do, then that was what should happen. And then he shared that he had just asked Jesus to be his Savior and committed his life to him the night before. What was she to think? Was his conversion real or was it a ploy to keep her? Only time could tell. They broke up that day and went separate ways. Now, as it turned out, the day that he had told her that he was not a Christian but would become one when he wanted to, he had said that flippantly to get her off his back. But during that following week, the Holy Spirit haunted him with his words till he saw that those words were actually true. He wasn't a Christian. And at that point, he became afraid of the consequences because he did believe in hell. And by the end of the week, in his desperation and misery, he did pray for Jesus to save him and committed his life to God. He went to that narrow gate and he entered through Jesus. His trajectory changed from someone making up God in his own head and doing whatever was right in his own eyes to seeking and following the creator who made him. I want to show you a picture of him from that yearbook. No, he's not the guy on the left. He's the guy in the middle. And 50 years later, He is also the one who is speaking to you right now. It is me, by God's grace. The Lord made me a captive audience to the gospel through this girl because if anybody else had been that persistent, I would have never continued to listen to them. And then he used my own words to help me see the truth and come to him for salvation. It will be 50 years this July. So, I want you to consider, what is your trajectory? Where are your decisions taking you? Are you on the wide path, making things up as you go? Or the narrow path, relying on Christ's mercy and direction, Or do you just feel confused? If what you have heard today has made you curious and you want some answers, I would be glad to have a conversation with you. And there would be others in here who would want to do that as well. Stick around after the service, we've got plenty of time. Would you close with me in prayer? Lord, please have mercy on those who are on the wide path that seems to be easy but leads to destruction. Bless them with ears that can hear the truth and understanding so that they can perceive their own sin and their need for a Savior. Bless them with eyes that can see your narrow gate where they can experience your forgiveness and begin a new life. Please have mercy on those on the narrow but hard path that leads to life. We pray for something better than easy lives. We pray for a stronger faith. Please bless us with courage and endurance. Bless us with your presence and the strength equal to all the hard tasks that you are going to place in our path. Please have mercy on us and transform our character, bring us closer to Christ, and make us more useful to your kingdom, now and forever. Lord, we thank you for all the kindness you have been to us. We thank you for your mercy. I pray all this in Jesus' name.